Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. This is Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. We only have 20 minutes, so let's get started. You've no doubt heard the expression, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Like many, you probably think this means the highway to hell is wide and well-traveled. But today, we're going to show you that this is a misinterpretation of Scripture. The key is understanding two types or symbols that Jesus uses in the Bible, the narrow gate and the narrow door. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Three readings from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, and the Book of the Revelation. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Luke chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3, 20 and 21. That was Matthew 7, Luke 13, and Revelation 3. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation, E. Let's use the SPACE method on today's scripture reading. Okay, so we start with the speaker, and in all three cases, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that these words were spoken by God himself. And how do we know that? Well, definitely the Bible tells us so. When we look at John chapter 1, verse 1, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then jumping down to John 1, 14, it reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
The audience and context in each case are as follows. In Matthew 7, the context is the Sermon on the Mount, and the audience is Jesus Christ's disciples. And we've talked about this many times, Andy. It's a common misunderstanding of the Sermon on the Mount that it was spoken to a multitude, because in pictures you'll see Jesus standing on the Mount and these huge crowds, and there were in fact huge crowds there. But what the Bible says in Matthew 5.1 is that Jesus Christ saw the crowds, then he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, then he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. So we had this, this um, sense of the multitude sort of listening in, but really it's a teaching meant for the disciples. Yeah, it's a great point. And we often talk about that you know, in our lessons, in our 20-minute Bible studies, because we want our listeners to know that the Sermon on the Mount that you pointed out, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, are directly, they're difficult teachings, but they're directed to the disciples themselves, those who are called by God to go to a higher level with God. As for uh, Luke 13, the context is right after he has given Israel a series of parables, uh, seven according to the, the versions in Matthew 13, that are about the kingdom of God. You know, Luke 13, 18 says, So he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed. And then 13, 20, he says, And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven. Okay, so the audience again are the disciples. We see in Luke 13, 22, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And then verse 23 says, and someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. So Jordan, notice the word them, indicating that Jesus used the question to teach his disciples, even though it doesn't say who exactly, ask the question. Yeah, that's a good point. And then notice also the phrase, who are being saved, which is a present, ongoing tense of salvation. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 1.18 as a reference, that reads, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's the same Greek phrase being repeated. Yeah, it's about the tense, right? This ongoing tense of salvation. And those who are new to the show might be a little confused by that, but we often talk about the tenses of salvation, and of course that, that word salvation doesn't always mean salvation from hell. Um, there are different tenses of salvation, meaning when you are saved from hell by believing in Jesus, that's what we call past tense salvation. And here we see present tense salvation, and that always indicates that the people are already saved from hell, they're on the next level, which is a sanctification, a qualification process, a salvation of the soul, and again, yeah. we'll, we'll get more into that as the lesson goes on. Yeah, well, the audience was obviously, you know, these people here are, are saved. They, they accept Jesus, they're following him, they're disciples of his. So, you know, you could say potentially they're, they're safe because Jesus hasn't paid for sin on the cross yet, Right. but he will. Um, that being said, you know, looking at Scripture and noticing when you do study Scripture, you're going to see that there's often instances where, like we pointed out, we're going to see the terminology are being saved. And then you're going to see places where it says saved past tense. And, you know, here's a good indicator to know well, what what is Jesus talking about? What's God trying to tell me? Is he talking about, like Jordan, like you just pointed out, my spirit salvation, which was paid for once and for all my sin by Jesus Christ on the cross? Or is it something that I have to strive for, for a different level, a higher level of being with Jesus Christ? And again, um, again, just to support what you said, whenever you see salvation used in the past tense, it's specifically pointing out our spirit salvation, which is for eternity. Whereas if it's 
you know, the words that we're studying today, being saved, that means that daily we need to come to repentance, we need to confess our sins, we need to walk the straight and narrow path, because our hope is that at the judgment seat of Christ one day, we'll be considered part of the saved that enter the millennial kingdom with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, and I want to linger one more second because this is so important. Um, we have this tendency to read into words. I, I want the Bible students out there to understand this point because when you read a word like saved in the Bible, you, you read it in an English translation and you read a lot of meaning into that word. When the preacher preaches it, there's a lot of meaning, connotative meaning in that word. When you get down to it and strip it down in the New Testament Greek, it's just a word sozo, which if used many different ways in the Bible to mean different things. Context matters. Um, the, the verb tenses matter. They, they really do. So when you're reading the Bible, Bible students, make sure that you understand what that word actually means, because it's, it's not going to automatically mean whatever most easily comes into your head, which of course is going to be the milk teaching of most pastors, which is it's about salvation from hell. A lot of times it's not about salvation from hell. And we're seeing that in the audience too, because in all these cases, Jesus Christ is talking to people who have already believed in him. Right. So they already, even though he hasn't died on the cross yet, as you pointed out, obviously in 1 Corinthians he has. This is, that's Paul writing to a church. But uh, in this case, it's, it, he hasn't died yet, but still, they're saved by faith already. So he yeah. isn't talking to them about how to get saved. He's talking about a different kind of salvation. So again, pay attention to those words. Uh, moving on, in Revelation 3, our final reading, the context is the letters to the seven churches, and the audience is specifically the Laodicean or lukewarm church. All right, Jordan. Very good. So I have a quick question for you. What does the context and the audience of our scripture readings tell us before we even begin to try to understand the meaning of the door and the gate types that you pointed out? Yeah. So again, it's basically what we were just saying. And here we've added with Revelation 3, a a direct letter to a church. Um, The audience in all cases is saved. That was the point I was just making, Andy. It's, uh, It's the disciples in two cases. It's a church, a lukewarm church in the third case. What that's again telling us is that this is not going to be about salvation from hell. As for the context, it's going to be deeper truths about salvation into the kingdom, and that's sort of where we're going with this lesson. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about deeper teaching for disciples, not again for the crowds that were there, but for the disciples. Luke 13 follows several parables, which are for, according to the version in Matthew 13, people who are granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then Revelation 3 is to a church. And it has some key types in it that just would not be for lost people, right? It talks about gold refined by fire. We know gold is a type or symbol of the kingdom. It talks about white garments, which are the righteous works of the saints, the Bible says. And it talks about ISAV, which is, you know, for the opening of your spiritual eyes. So we can see all these clues when you're looking for it at the audience and context here, uh, past tense, salvation from hell. Okay, great. So to sum it up, I guess your main point could be that the gate and door types will be about salvation into the kingdom and not salvation from hell or the lake of fire eventually. So, you know, people might ask the question, why? Well, we look at scripture always for that answer, and it's because the audiences in all these cases were already saved from hell. And that's where we have, you know, the doctrine of assurance. Right. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 27 to 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And let me just insert in there, not even yourself can cause some, you know, yourself to lose your salvation. Key point. No one includes all people, including yourself. Going on, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And again, that's John 10, 27 to 30. 
key verses, uh, you also see Jesus claiming that he is God. You know, for those who need that reference, remember that John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And right after that, what happens? The Jewish leaders pick up stones to stone him because they, they thought he had blasphemed. No, no one was supposed to say that they were God. But of course, Jesus Christ was speaking the truth. And you know, the point being, Andy, that he would not have told his disciples, enter through the narrow gate, our lesson, our scripture reading for today, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, if he was talking about the highway to hell, right? He wouldn't have said that to them because they already had assurance, they already had faith. Right. So let me help our listeners kind of wrap their head around this, all right? Try to make it, you know, simplified a little bit. Today's study is, is mainly to show our listeners so far what we've learned is that Jesus's teachings, number one, his audience was mainly his disciples. These are students of his, not just believers, but the student. Those of you at home who study the Bible, who want to go to the next level, who have a yearning and a fire and a hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to get to know him more intimately. That's number one. And of course, number two, you know, I think the other point that we need to see here is that in studying these teachings and looking at Scripture more carefully, we're going to find out that there's a lot of misnomers, there's a lot of confusion from the pulpit, maybe, of, of pastors trying to create a certain doctrine, which... If you look at these verses carefully, objectively, you'll see here all the verses that we're studying today, you know, we'll see that Jesus is saying, you know, choose this path or, you know, follow this way. Those are all works. Those right. are all, you know, things that Jesus is asking his disciples that they have the choice to make. But in reality, you know, again, that would unfortunately contradict not only the doctrine of assurance, but also the doctrine of, of predestination and grace, which Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about about, you know, how salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Right. So, you know, if I'm if I'm of the school that believes, well, you know what, Jesus opened the door, now it's my job to go through that gate or go through that door. Now I'm, I'm hinging, you know, my salvation, the finishing of my salvation based on my works or my choices. And I think that's where a lot of people, unfortunately, get confused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, confusion obviously is not from God. It's from, it's from the enemy. We know that according to Scripture. Yeah, and uh, so now we're ready for E, which is explanation in our space uh, method. But um, I, I want to put a finer point on what you said and make a bold statement. I, I challenge the listeners out there, every time you, you have read something in the Bible that you think is directed to lost people, go back and look at the audience in the context. Use the space method on it, because you're going to find that I don't know what the percentage is, but it's the vast majority of scriptures that have even been taught from the pulpit as to lost people. It's actually not to lost people. It's to Jews who are, you know, save them the layaway plan because God had a plan for their salvation. Right. Or it's to Christians, church members. All the, all the letters are to people that were already saved. So go back and challenge yourself, challenge yeah. your understanding of those verses by looking at the audience in the context. You know, one more point, Jordan, and I hate to kind of chase down this rabbit hole, but you brought something out that kind of stirred my spirit, you know. Um, you brought up a, a great point, and I, and that's awesome. That challenge is awesome. And obviously, because we know the scriptures, we have the confidence in that. But there's something very important that that supports why you're making that statement or why you're offering that challenge is because people who tend to believe that they can submit um, their rewards or you know give away their salvation based on their sin, what I've learned is they tend to fall away from God because we're going to find out that we're all going to fail. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. So I've seen so many people that at one time were strong Christians, but because their specific church or their doctrine teaches them that, you know, because of sin and because of your bad works or because of your habits, 
I can't promise you that when the rapture comes, you're going to go. And then what happens is people kind of disconnect from God. They unplug. They slowly apostate or fall away. Right. Give up. You know? But I'm telling you from my perspective, me waking up every day in prayer, knowing that my Lord and Savior died once for all my sin, makes me fall in love with him that much more. I appreciate him. I love him. And you know what? I'm... I'm willing to be able to make those sacrifices to live a righteous life because I honor what he did. Right. You know, and you know what? That is the truth. And the truth is what sets you free. And and I just have that peace and that joy. And because of that, I feel that it's easier for me to stay dedicated to the word of God. That's a great point, Andy. Thanks for sharing that. So now we're going to get into the meat of our study, Andy. And I just wanted to uh, point out that the words door and gate are two different words in the original language that the Bible was spoken and written in. And, um, you know, the, the first, our first word that's translated gate is actually, a, the meaning of it is an entrance into the wall of a city or a palace. And that's, that's key because Jesus is setting up, again, this metaphor of the thousand-year kingdom. Sure. What he's really saying in that, in that reference today is that the entrance into the palace walls of the kingdom is narrow and it's hard to get into. And that contrasts with what we tend to think of as the grace of God, because if you look at, for example, in Revelation, when you get to all the way to the end of time, into the kingdom of the Father, it has several gates. The gates are always open, the Bible says. God the Father is living among mankind. He's wiped away every tear. That's how we tend to think of of the kingdom of God. In reality, that kingdom comes after the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to his disciples, that the way to, the the entrance into that kingdom is narrow, and most people won't get into it. Again, Matthew seven thirteen, enter through the narrow gate, the gate into the millennial kingdom. Again, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through that gate. But the gate into this kingdom, into my kingdom, is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That contrasts with the other reference that we saw. Uh, later on in our scripture reading, was this word door. And that, that word in uh, Greek is also a different word. You know, um, it, it actually is pretty close to our word, uh, thura, which became tour, which became door in English. And its meaning is a little bit different. It means a portal or an entrance. And of course, the question is, a door into what, Andy? Yeah, so, I mean, Jordan, in Luke, it's a house, a doorway into a house, suggesting an entryway into a more intimate place than a city or, or a palace. It's actually an entrance into an inner sanctum or a private dwelling place. If we read Matthew 6, 6, it says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, or thura, like you said, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in kingdom terms, Jordan, this type is further refined in the parable of the ten virgins. We see that. And if you recall, all the virgins were pure, meaning they were saved, first of all. However, five were wise and had a double portion of oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And then when the time came, you know, they were admitted into this inner chamber while the other five, the foolish five, those five virgins were actually shut out. They weren't allowed in. And Matthew 25, 10 tells us, and while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, which is a type of Jesus Christ. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door, or there's that word Thora again, was shut. Verse 11, later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. And we know according to scripture, it's only by the Holy Spirit that someone can even call Jesus Lord. So we know these people are saved. And verse 12, he answers, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Or, you know, and maybe better terminology, 
I don't think you're intimate enough to come in here with me. So notice how this matches up with, you know, what our scripture was today, our scripture reading. Yeah, Luke 13, 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, thura, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. So that language is very parallel for a reason. So the type of a door is a symbol of a passageway into intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. You use that word intimacy, and that's really the key point here. A gate to a city, much less intimate, important nonetheless. But this now there's this door uh, metaphor, which represents an entranceway into a private dwelling, into an intimate place, an inner chamber, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, you know, for our final reading, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of abbreviate this a little bit. It's, again, Revelation 3, 20 to 21. Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, they open the door. But, you know, notice the two-way nature of his promise yes. in, this, in this teaching. You know, he says, if you let him in into the inner sanctum, he will let you into his inner sanctum, which is the throne room of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, you will sit down with him on his throne. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul explains in the book of Romans 8, 17. And, he, and I'll read it, paraphrasing. If we are children of God, we are heirs also, heirs of God, and additionally, fellow heirs with Christ, which is the king, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So, you know, in summary, Jordan, finally, what is the everyday takeaway or what are some of the takeaways from today's lesson? In summary, Andy, really the point is that there's a gate and there's a door and the gate leads into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of King Jesus. And uh, we should strive to enter through it, even though it's difficult to do that it's, it's much easier to go on the broad way that leads to the garbage dump outside of the kingdom. We should strive to enter through the narrow gate. And then what does that mean when you go one level deeper? That means to go through the door or to let Jesus Christ come through the door of your innermost intimate being. Ultimately, the point is to submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then when you give up your life here, you make sacrifices to do that. You gain life there, there being the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. And in everyday terms, you know, this really means denial of the desires of the flesh. You know, lust, greed, gluttony, the seven deadly sins that are always tempting us in order to serve Jesus Christ instead so that you can attain to sit down with him on his throne someday, receive reward, etc. Amen. Well said. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in minutebiblestudies.org. Our website has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forum, ways to support this ministry, and more. You can also sign up to receive an email whenever we upload a new Bible study. Our first email will even include a link to a special series titled, 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is our gift to you when you join our community. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org. While you're there, please also consider donating in support of Give20, our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. And we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. 
To join the Give 20 initiative, visit our website and click donate. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.